Wow, that's quite a lineup for Kingdom Conference. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I, uh, I heard about that, and uh, those of us who went to Scotland, you'll know, uh, man, Rob is incredible, Jimmy Seibert, incredible, Dave, incredible, so excited about that. Honest conversation. Sam, you said my uh, upgrade, huh? Brooke is like Indianapolis's finest, you know, <laughs> newscaster. That's all. That's all. Um, leading it now. <laughs> so it's going to be fun. Uh, fall is here, right? Best season of the year. We made that, uh, made that point last week. Uh, I feel a little bit bad and uh, almost feel like I need to get this off my chest and make a little confession uh, for all of you for deeply offending uh, many of you that really love the winter <laughs> and the spring and the summer. So I apologize. I apologize to the bottom of my heart. I know a lot of you have struggled this week, gone through some depression, some anxiety, uh, struggling, you know, with your thoughts, emotions. So I apologize. And I promise you, I will not talk about the dreariness and darkness of winter today. I will not talk about the boredom I have in spring or the heat of summer. I promise you, I confess that to you right now. And uh, now that I have that off my chest, Lord, please bring back the fall because it's 85 degrees today, right? <laughs> All week it's like 85 degrees. I'm ready for fall. I'm ready for fall. So anyway, I've got my jacket on even and it'll be 85, but that's okay. <laughs> hey, turn with me if you would to Acts chapter 4. Uh, we're going to go verse 23. If you missed it last week and you didn't know what that first part was all about, uh, I was just joking around at the beginning of service, but we started a two-part series called Kingdom DNA. Kingdom DNA, we're talking about marks of revival. There's actually seven marks of every great movement of God that historians and missiologists have discovered. Some of you are asking, what are the other three? Because we're only talking through four of them. Uh, but you'll see these on the screen, and you can write these down just kind of for reference in the future. These are kind of the seven marks for really every revival and move of God tends to contain these seven. And there's maybe a few more. Maybe you could debate one or two of them. But change lives, contagious faith, abundant prayer, or what we call a contending prayer, Holy Spirit, an emphasis on the person, the power of the Holy Spirit, which I'll be calling charismatic renewal, basically to say we need to renew ourselves um, spiritually. Discipleship systems, apostolic leadership, and organic multiplication. And these first four have more to do with us as individuals. That's why we're talking about these four. But the last three, a lot more to do with the leadership of stewarding movements and the church and all that kind of thing. So we're going to hold off on those. But uh, if you remember last week, we talked about Acts 4.13. And we talked about Peter and John. We're going to be tracing Acts 4 to get these first four uh, marks of a movement. And we read in Acts 4.13, you'll see it on the screen, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. And we said, when you live your life in such a manner that people look at you and they say, you've been with Jesus, haven't you? That's called a questionable life. That's a life that invites questions. That's a life that allows people to say, hey, tell me more about why you live that way. So they were changed. But not only were they changed, Acts 4.20 talked about this last week. They said, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They had a contagious faith. 
and it spilled out of them like a reservoir. We said you can live like a canal where you take in from the Lord and then you give out, or you can live like a reservoir where you are so filled with the Spirit of God, it spills out of you, and it's a contagious faith. And today, we come to the third and fourth marks of kingdom DNA, Acts chapter 4, 23. Go ahead and stand with me if you would. And let me read this with all of the muster that I can, but it will not do justice to the way they probably prayed this prayer. So here we go. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them, which was probably some heavy stuff for this fledgling church, right? This is probably pretty heavy. And they reported it. And when they heard this, They raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? This is Psalms chapter 2. They knew this stuff. This is prophetic, right? The kings of the earth rise up. The rulers band together against the Lord and his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will decided beforehand should happen. And so now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal, perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And God was pleased with that prayer. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. Because after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That doesn't always happen. But Lord, we pray today as we stand and we get ready for what you want to speak to us about on this third and fourth mark of revival, Lord. We pray that you would make us people that contend in prayer, that struggle in prayer to find your purposes, to receive your power so that we can live the kind of life that does speak boldly, that does have contagious faith. And God, this morning as we get started, if there's anything inside of any of us that's holding back, that's hesitant, that's sort of waiting. Lord, I pray that you would stir in our hearts a desire to be all in, to step forward, to really go after you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So in the spring of 1995, I received my acceptance letter to Wheaton College. So y'all just do the math and you'll figure out how old I am. Um, 37. That is kind of like the math that they're teaching kids today, I'll be honest. But um, anyway, sorry, I shouldn't digress like that. But... uh, 1995, I got my acceptance letter, so I was really excited, and I went to Wheaton because a good friend of mine by the name of Matt, uh, Matt Yarrington, he was attending there. We were good friends. I was excited to hang out with him, and Matt led a ministry called WCF, which is World Christian Fellowship, 
It's a group of about 200 or so students. We would meet every week and basically just kind of pray for the nations, worship. We'd bring in guest speakers, things like that. And uh, so Matt was in, he was leading that. And at the time, God was doing kind of a significant thing at WCF. There was a renewal movement that was taking place. It was beginning to sort of spill out into the surrounding city and even region and uh, other colleges. And the spark of revival came on a Sunday evening. I'm going to show you a picture here. So that is Pierce Chapel. That's at Wheaton College. That's not uh, a picture I took. I found that online. But that will give you a sense of kind of the space where we were at. And the spark of revival came in March of 1995, a little bit before I got my acceptance letter. So I didn't get to participate in this, unfortunately. Uh, but I heard a lot of stories when I got on campus. Two students from Brownswood uh, College in Texas came one Sunday night, and they just began to share what God was doing kind of in their campus and um, in their hearts. And they were, I would say, unschooled. They obviously went to college. We'll say ordinary college students. Like there was nothing about them that would be uh, significant in any way. They were just sharing their story, their testimony. This is what God's doing. They came toward kind of the end of the testimony, and typically the worship team would come up, and they would begin to play, and there'd be worship at the end. And so they did that, and they began to lead in worship. But, man, there was something about what they said, something the Spirit was doing in that moment. And at the end of worship, usually it was kind of, you know, last song, um, let's wrap up with a benediction. But in this case, the worship leader said, you know, I feel like God might be doing something in our midst. And can we just stop for a minute and let's just pray together. Can we pray together? I feel like God is doing something. And they began to pray. Corporately. So when we think about corporate prayer, there's typically three type, types of prayer we think about in the West, typically. The first type of corporate prayer we call popcorn prayer, right? Uh, I don't know, that sounds real theological uh, there, but popcorn prayer is just like, hey, let's pray together. If somebody feels led, go ahead, and you know, they just pop, 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 pop. Sometimes two people pop at the same time. It's a little awkward, and uh, I don't know, pop, pop, you know, and um, somebody else pops over here. So that's popcorn prayer, like people just praying individually. Then you have unison prayer. Unison prayer is what we did at the beginning, right? Or like with the Lord's Prayer, let's all pray together, corporately, our Father who art in heaven. Then you have responsive prayer, which is in a lot of liturgical churches, there'll be an officiant who'll kind of begin to pray. Somebody responds in prayer. At WCF, we did something practiced more in like African churches, Asian churches. In fact, in South Korea, this is really prominent. There, there actually was a name given to the South Korean church. I wrote it down, Tongsung Kido. How's that? Any Koreans in the house? Oh, thank the Lord. Um, Tongsung Kido, which means simultaneous prayer. Simultaneous prayer is when you say, let's pray, and everybody just starts to pray. And they begin to just praise God and sing psalms and you cry out and intercede and two people pray together. It's called simultaneous prayer. And that's how we did it at WCF. That's kind of how it happened. 
So, hey, uh, let's go ahead and pray together. And everybody just stood and we just began to pray, just proclaim. And it's the coolest thing to hear. And I'm sure you've done it uh, here at Antioch or different prayer meetings. But um, incredible thing. That's what was happening in Acts 4.24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God, together with one accord, with one mind. Now, maybe one person raised their voice above the rest, but I've done the research in terms of like New Testament scholars and learning about history and all that. They really believe this was a tonkun kido or whatever simultaneous style prayer that people were praying and they were contending in prayer. How many when you hear the word contending, like help me out a little bit, raise your hand like what do you mean by contending? Anybody? Oh, you guys are all so educated. Okay, good. Oh, teach you. Okay, oh, let me let me help you. Let me under, let me help you unpack this. <laughs> Contending in prayer is so different than just praying. Yeah. To contend means to struggle. Yeah. To contend means to surmount a difficulty or a danger. To contend is like to wrestle. So it's not just prayer and it's not just abundant prayer. It's contending in prayer. And you can't contend in prayer if you don't think prayer is going to do anything. There's a lot of people that pray and quite honestly, they get done praying. And I think, do you even believe that that prayer is going to accomplish anything? Paul said in 4.3 Philippians, these two women, uh, Yodia and Syntyche, they contended at my side. Colossians 1.29 I strenuously contend with all the energy of Christ that works in me. Colossians 2.1, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you. Jude 3, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Contending in prayer is struggling, it's wrestling. We had a, a guy in Scotland that would um, always contend in prayer. His name was Martin. Every time Martin prayed, I just got the sense he is contending when he prays. I get to pray, oh, Lord, thank you so much for this day. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm just so thankful, God. God, we're so thankful. We love you, Lord. You know, it's like, man, I, Wow. And that comes over time because we begin to contend and we see God move and we struggle. And in contending, you're struggling, you're battling the enemy, you're battling uh, the things that, that you're, sometimes you're wrestling with God. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was contending in prayer to the Lord, if it be possible, take this cup from me, right? And why are you doing that? The reason we're contending is we're trying to learn, Lord, what is your will? What do you desire? What are your purposes on earth, Lord? I want to know that. I want to hear from you. I need to hear from you. And so they were contending. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness and stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They were contending. So I've been talking about stories of the Wesleyan revival. Uh, I shared a few of them last week. Uh, I want to share a couple more uh, today. This is an a interesting um, story I want to share for you. 
and it's from a place, go ahead and put it up on the screen, uh, called Fetter Lane. Most people believe this particular house, isn't that a beautiful house right there? <laughs> oh, there it is, there we go. Um, most people believe this is the actual house where this event took place. But I shared last week that Wesley and Whitfield had these really incredible kind of moments of conversion where they really sought after God, in many ways contending in prayer for God to move, and God did and changed their life. But after that, they continued to struggle in prayer, like over and over. And this particular place in, on Fetter Lane, this is the Fetter Lane Society. They used to meet here. This was a group of people. What happened back then is the Anglican church was essentially the church. So if you weren't a part of that, you were kind of ostracized. And these little bands and societies formed kind of like little renewal movements within the Anglican church. So this was the Fetter Lane Society. And they were at an all-night prayer meeting. Uh, they called it a, a watch night prayer meeting on New Year's Eve. And it was Wesley, it was Whitfield, it was Charles. Whitfield was 24. Wesley was about 35. He was a little bit older. This is what Wesley writes. Whitfield and my brother Charles were present at Fetter Lane with about 60 of our brethren. About 3 in the morning, as we were continuing, contending in prayer... The power of God came mightily upon us, insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy, and many fell to the ground. Wesley did not grow up in the charismatic church. Wesley did not grow up, uh, you know, in one of these movements. Wesley was Anglican, and he didn't even know how to describe it. He's like, and many fell to the ground. I don't know what was going on. They just fell down. It was weird, Okay. <laughs> But this was an Acts 4 moment. And it's interesting, this was the moment they prayed all night long that Whitfield felt called to begin field preaching, like open air field preaching. So at 24 years old, he had this Fetter Lane experience and God kind of pushed him out into the fields. After this moment, it's really interesting in Wesley's ministry. Prior to that, there were no supernatural occurrences. There were no healings. There was not much at all going on. Afterwards, in the next seven months, he had 30 different supernatural experiences in his ministry, and he just could not figure out what was happening. He didn't know what it was. He was contending in prayer, and God showed up. So let me, let me go back to Wheaton. So during the prayer time, as people were contending in prayer, and Tong Sung Kido was happening, and the simultaneous nature of that was happening, um, people uh, were praying, and one young man, kind of toward the back, uh, I heard this all from Matt. It's also written in a book. You can find it online that chronicles the whole thing. But one young man began to just kind of, shoulders started to heave. He began to cry, and he stood up while everybody was praying, and he walked toward the front. He came to, to, the, to the front of the stage. He grabbed the mic, and he just began to speak, and he was sharing what God was doing in his heart. God was kind of giving him this sense that he had idolatry in his life, that he had some issues in his life, and he wanted to be more bold for Jesus. And so he kind of just totally out of the ordinary starts speaking, this like unassuming kid. He goes back and sits down, and it is just like quiet. You ever been in a situation where something out of the ordinary happens? And you're like, I mean, you could like hear a pin drop. Everybody's kind of waiting, like, what's going on? 
And some lady in the back was like, thank you, Jesus. You know, it was like quiet again. And then this young sophomore girl stands up. She comes forward just like sobbing, grabs a microphone, begins to confess some idolatry in her life and just can't finish and starts crying and melts. And these kids come around her. They begin to pray. It's quiet. And then another and then another and then another pops. And now there's this line that's forming. And Matt's not sure what to do, and so he begins to let them confess, and he stands back, and he's like, you know, with the worship team, you know, like, start playing, let's do what, I don't know what to do here, and they begin to confess, and this goes on and on and on, and there's worshiping and confessing and crying and healing and deliverance, and people are praying, and they're singing, and they're on their knees, and it's six in the morning. And Matt's like, hey, we need to get some sleep. How about we all go back to bed? And then if you like are still in line or you still want to worship, come on back tonight, Monday night, 7 o'clock. Doors will be open again. I'm not sure what we're doing, but if you want to come back, come back. 200 came Sunday night. 900 people came on Monday night. And they continued to confess and cry and sing and worship and deliverance was happening. And people are getting, you know, saved on a Christian college campus. And he says, hey, why don't we come back on Tuesday night? And 1,100 people showed up. And so they realized something is happening, right? God is moving. And the president of the university on Wednesday canceled all classes at Wheaton College, 1995. Praise God, right, for a godly president. We don't need to be in classes. People are up all night praying. We need to be like interceding and sleeping and getting refreshed because God's going to do something. And Wednesday night, 1,350 kids came. They had to move it to this location right here, which is College Church. So 1,350 kids Wednesday night, they brought about 10 massive like industrial-sized garbage cans toward the front. And they told all the kids they were going to do this the night before. If you have anything standing between you and God, anything at all that you need to give up and release, anything that's holding you back, these garbage cans represent that. Write it on a piece of paper, throw it in here. I won't tell you all the things that were in these garbage cans, but it was stuff that was just secrets, things we keep inside, things we never tell anybody about. And on Thursday night, 1,500 students showed up at College Church. 100 kids were called into the ministry. And my friend Matt and the WCF team got to go all over, camp, all over uh, the uh, nation and tell other colleges what God was doing. It was just like an incredible thing. I say all of that. What I didn't tell you was that the leadership team of WCF, and my parents are here, they can vouch for this, um, Matt uh, and my friends on this leadership team prayed hours and hours, like hundreds of hours prior to that moment, asking God to move in contending prayer. We all see the stuff that happened that week, but they were doing the hard work contending in prayer day after day, week after week, hundreds of hours. Changed lives, contagious faith, contending prayer. And charismatic renewal. Let's talk about charismatic renewal for a minute. The phrase comes from the word charismata, which is the plural for spiritual gifts. 
And for many of you, when you hear the word charismatic, that might initially kind of give you the willies if you don't come from a charismatic background or tradition. Uh, some of you may not like that word. There's been some abuse associated with that word. It might sound a little bit scary. It is scary. It's, it is a little scary letting God possess your life. It's a little scary. I'll be honest. Um, handing the keys of the car over to let God do whatever he wants to do is a little bit scary. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, uh, end up pointing fingers at different things that are in excess. Would you rather have excess or stagnation? I've had to figure that out in my own life. Would you rather have a little margin for some excess on the side? Or do you just like everything super predictable to get what you've always gotten in a stagnant institution? Like that's kind of the option in a way. Stepping out in faith can be scary. But Wesley Whitfield, Asbury, these people, they were not crazy charismatics. All right, let's sit that out of our mind. Do these look like crazy charismatics to you? I mean, they do look a little crazy with that, that haircut. Um, Whitfield was only 24 in that picture. No, that's probably not true. The rate that he preached, he might have been 24 in that picture. I'm not sure. But these guys were liturgical. They were like Puritans. They were, they were not crazy charismatic. They did not know what to do with God, what God was doing. They're Anglican. They went to Oxford. But when God moves and when kingdom DNA is present, supernatural stuff happens and the Holy Spirit moves. And Wesley didn't know what to do with this. He was uncomfortable with this. He felt really uncomfortable with it. In fact, a few months after Fetter Lane on May 20th, I'm going to read this and you're just going to laugh at his words. These are Wesley's words. During this whole time, this is from his journal, I was almost continually asked concerning this strange work, how can these things be? My response, from this time I trust we shall all suffer God to carry on his own work in the way that pleaseth him. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we shall all suffer God to carry on his own work in the way that pleaseth him. Um, he wasn't really entirely comfortable with, with this, but Wesley became the spirit-anointed leader of a new movement, and it spread across England to the United States and became the greatest church planning movement that the world has ever seen in the U.S. So it wasn't uncommon in Wesley's day when he preached in that type of an outfit, by the way, for people to be filled with the spirit and fainting and weeping and wailing and shouting, shouting utterances, all of that. Look at what it says in Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. What does that mean? I don't know. It was shaken. Like, just... We can't describe it. What seemed to be, I don't know, it's hard to describe. What seemed to be like tongues of fire came and landed on them. I don't know how to put words to it. 
But all I know is that the place where they were standing was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly, boldly. So the problem sometimes with charismatic renewal is that we get caught up in the fainting and the weeping and the shouting and the shaking. Um, but there's a principle in Acts 4, 24 to 31 that I want to share with you. And we got to keep this in mind. God gave Peter and John and Wesley and Whitfield his power for his purposes. Write that down. His power for his purposes. And God will give you his power for his purposes. They didn't say, now, Lord, consider your, their threats and enable your servants to rain fire from heaven and smite our enemies. That was not his purposes. And I doubt the place would have been shaken if they would have prayed that. They didn't say, now, Lord, we pray that you would consider their threats and enable their, your servants to live a more peaceful existence away from persecution and difficulty. Just keep us safe, Lord. Keep us safe, we pray. That might not have resulted in a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Instead, they said, enable your servants to speak your word with boldness. It's really scary, but we want you to help us do that. We want you to stretch out your hand and heal our enemies. We want you to perform signs and wonders through the name of your servant. You want Jesus to be glorified. And God was like, okay, I will give you my power for my purposes. And the reason we contend and struggle in prayer to experience that kind of renewal is to discern what are your purposes, Lord? And then I need your power to fulfill them. God does not give his power for your purposes. I have tried to live this way where I have a great idea. And I know what I need to do for the Lord. And so I'm going to go out and do it. And I haven't contended in prayer. And when I do that thing that I think is his purposes, but really it's my own, I sometimes don't experience his power. And it feels like I'm just doing it. You ever had that feeling? I didn't contend in prayer. I didn't wrestle. I didn't struggle. It was just a good idea. And after all, why not? This seems like a good thing. And you do it. And you don't feel like you have his power. Well, that's because he only gives his power for his purposes. But once you find his purposes, you can't accomplish his purposes on your power. See, that's the other part of contending prayer is I now know, God, what you are calling me to do, but I can't do it in my own strength. I need your power. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power. That is at work within us. It's his power. And I love the theme of Kingdom Conference. His will, his way, his power. Will there be things you can't explain? Yes, there will. Do we need to be careful and sometimes guard ourselves against excess? I suppose we do. Asbury would say to his traveling preachers that were flying all over the place to make sure every vision and prophecy was kept in line with Scripture. But I love this quote from one author. Asbury would rather deal with the emotionalism and enthusiasm of a movement than the complacency and stagnation of an institution. I would say... That's probably something some of us may need to wrestle with. 
And this is not the case with everybody. A lot of people like things predictable and controlled and comfortable and don't want to take the risk. In fact, you may fear excess more than stagnation. And I want to tell you a story that actually is a really scary story to me. Because it's a story of someone that would rather play it safe than step out. The summer after the 1995 um, Wheaton Revival, I had the opportunity to, to go to a couple churches with my friend and to begin to share what God was doing uh, at Wheaton and around the country. And we went to one local church in particular. It was a larger church, almost 1,000 people. Uh, my friend began to share about the stories of the Wheaton Revival and was kind of cool what was happening and offered a time of silence and prayer. And I'm sitting probably about where Heather's at and I'm watching and he shares and he says, so if we could right now, let's just take a minute of silence and let's ask God to search our heart and see what he wants to do. And so we just all kind of sat there for a minute. It got really quiet. We prayed and sure enough, uh, over time, an older gentleman walked really slowly to the front. The place became silent. He began to just kind of shout some stuff out. They handed him a microphone, and he began to, uh, to kind of give an encouragement, a word. Soon another came forward, and then another. One person confessed an addictive behavior. A few friends prayed for him. Another began to weep. People began to make to the way to the front to testify. There was kind of a line that formed. We had ushers. It was a fairly, fairly traditional uh, church. And I'm sitting about where, where Heather's at, and over here's the pastor. And I'm kind of watching the pastor, and I'm seeing what's happening. And out of the corner of my eye, I watch something. I don't think anybody else saw this. I think I might have been the only one that watched something. I watched my pastor motion to a worship leader. And this pastor motioned to the worship leader, and I, I saw he kind of whispered something in his ear. And I don't know what was happening at the time. All I know is the next thing I saw is the worship leader then walked around and came up and grabbed a microphone. And as people are forming the line and people are confessing, and he kind of did this to the worship team. And the worship team began to play. And then the worship leader invited everybody to stand. And so we all stood and he said, isn't this wonderful? Praise the Lord. Can we just sing glory be to God or whatever it was? And we all sang a really great worship song. And the ushers slowly ushered, ushed everybody back to their seat. And everybody was standing. And we all glorified God. And we walked out. And man, it was really professional. And it was done so well that nobody knew the difference. Nobody knew the difference. I saw people really ready for God to move. I saw a congregation hungry. I saw people ready. I felt like I was on the edge of my seat. I knew this church intimately. And I'm sitting on the edge, and I watched with such professionalism that nobody would have known the difference. Nobody would have known the difference. And all of a sudden, things kind of usher, ushers come in and things kind of move and we all end in this worship song. And here's the deal. Kingdom DNA might make us really uncomfortable. 
And in the same way, when God is moving in your life, prompting you, speaking through you, giving you a thought, calling you to a vision, birthing a new ministry inside of you, you know what we can do? With such professionalism, we can explain it away, but that's probably nothing, but it's okay, but I know that probably wasn't God, and I'm just going to move on. I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm just going to keep it under wraps, and nobody will know the difference. I believe God has given some of you bold visions, clear callings, hills to climb, things to do, ministries to lead. He's conceived them in your heart. He's birthed them in your heart. And you have, I apologize for the phrase, aborted those visions. And nobody knew the difference. Nobody knew otherwise. But how many visions are aborted at the altar of comfort, at the altar of us feeling like, well, that's this was, you know, not respectable, or I'm not sure how I feel about that, or is that really from God? I think God maybe has given you some of those visions. I think God's given you some of those callings. And I think maybe for a few of you, you have dismissed them when in reality you should have embraced them because you thought it might be a little uncomfortable, or maybe it wasn't of God. So here's the deal. I'm going to close. Contending prayer is a struggle. Contagious faith might result in persecution. Charismatic renewal might be scary at times. But let me just ask you, what's the alternative? You can't keep doing the things you've always done and expect different results. We can't keep doing the things we've always done and expect different results. You know that's insanity. That's the definition. You know where revival begins? There's actually a process. And I'm going to work backwards. The pinnacle is reformation. Before that is national awakening. Before national awakening is regional revival. And before regional revival is local revival. And before local revival is corporate renewal. And before corporate renewal is individual renewal. Revival starts with you. And it starts with me. Um, I'm going to close this this morning with three questions. I'm going to invite our worship, or I'm sorry, our, our prayer team to come forward. Go ahead and come on forward, everyone. There's three questions I want to ask you this morning. Because I really believe that for us to experience what God wants to do in corporate renewal as a church and in local revival as Indianapolis... There is some individual renewal and revival that has to take place in each one of us. And what happens on a Sunday morning is all these streams of people, almost like firebrands, come together and ignite something unique. But it only happens when each one of us are doing our part. And there's three categories that I want to encourage you to consider. Category number one, 
Do you need to repent of something in your life because maybe renewal is not happening because you have unconfessed sin that has to be confessed? These individuals are here to pray with you for you to receive the forgiveness of God and understand you can be cleansed of that. That's number one. Number two, is there something you are contending for in prayer and you have struggled with this for so long and you need to know, God, what do I need from you? I need your purposes, Lord. Show me what they are, but you're still contending. You're like, I gotta pray with someone and contend with them and share this with them because I have been struggling with this for so long. I need a breakthrough. That's number two. Number three, Have you been given a vision, a calling, a word from God, a ministry idea, and you have been hesitant to act out of fear, and you have feared what might be, and you have kind of just pushed this aside, will you please come forward and share that with somebody? Because revival starts here. And Lord, I pray today that you would stir our hearts God, that you would stir up in us a desire to be clean and to confess any sin we need. Stir in our hearts, Lord, a desire to continue to contend in prayer, but maybe to bring a brother and sister into that process to struggle with us. Or maybe number three, God, that you would stir in our hearts a fresh vision that you would resurrect, revive, bring back to life something that we have pushed down and buried a new dream, a new ministry, a new idea, God, that we would then share that with somebody and receive encouragement and not keep it to ourselves. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We glorify your name. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you're ready, I'd invite you to come forward. We're going to worship God. Would you all stand with me? And uh, let's just worship the Lord together. Please come forward as God leads.